Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for following Jesus. My name is Tony, and today is episode 173 of the podcast, where I sit down with self-proclaimed bond servant, Dennis Allen. Now, Dennis has a brand new resource out all about the disciple dilemma. Now, why is this important? Because if you've ever thought to wrestle with the question, why are people leaving the church, then you need to listen to this conversation with Dennis. He's passionate about disciple making, which I love, love, love to talk about. He's got some great insights, and we talk about how Christian leadership's choices impact disciples and discipleship. Such a deep, rich conversation. I know you're going to love it. And if you do love it, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave us a rating review on iTunes or Spotify. And the absolute best compliment you can give us, share this episode with a friend. Maybe one person who's also passionate about disciple making. Maybe a church leader. Maybe somebody who you know is thinking about leaving the church. So much depth here. I know you're going to need your notebook. Take some notes down. Follow Dennis on social medias. Let him know that you heard him here on the podcast. Now, without any further ado, let's jump into it. Here's my conversation with Dennis Allen. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to have um, a discipleship guru with me, uh, the author of this latest resource, The Disciple Dilemma, Dennis Allen. Dennis, thank you so much for being here today. Tony, amped to be with you and just delighted to have some time to talk about this with you. Well, um, so all of my listeners, you know how I feel about disciple making and how much it means to me. So we are going to nerd out today on <laughs> disciple making and what this looks like. So this is going to be an episode where I, I can just tell you right now, you're going to want to grab a paper and pen and listen to it twice so that you can think about what this means. And I'm going to um, start by asking this question, Dennis, because I like to go macro before I go micro. Um how would you describe the calling that God has placed on your life? The first um, word that I want to put on deck for everybody to think about is the word bondservant, hmm. uh, the Greek doulos, uh, the idea of someone who is absolutely bankrupt in their debt and now obligated to another in a way that they can never ever possibly hope to repay and therefore must for the rest of their life serve. That would be a starting point. How about that? Mm, that's good. How, how did you and come I think to that's that a word? Really yeah. overlooked, it's a really overlooked word, wouldn't you say, in your own encounters with people in the faith? You're the first person I've ever heard use it. Well, I think that this is the beginning of a conversation about discipleship where we look at it as believers, everybody who's on this this uh, this little video watching with us, um, to think about this slightly differently. You have a lot of experience in discipleship. You have a lot of experience as a pastor. Um, so I'm looking forward to kind of lifting up some of the rocks and seeing what crawls out from underneath it as we talk about this. Okay, so I, one of the things that I say all the time is that uh, common language creates common movements. I'm hoping that you could define what uh, the, the term, you know, define the word disciple for us 
and how you categorize it because I, and discipleship and disciple making, like, let's get into the weeds on this a little bit, because I, I think for a long time, the church has looked at discipleship and disciple as someone who attends a Bible study. And I think that you're going to go a little different direction. Yeah, I think we should go a really different direction. That'll be fun. Um, Let me start with the point you just made, because this is something I'm trying to emphasize also. And that is we've got to get away from language that puts us to sleep. Yeah, We have been steeped in phrases and cliches as followers of Christ for so long that if we don't alternate our language a bit, I'm not trying to get away from beloved thinking. I'm trying to get away from numb, sedative phrases. So I'm going to stay away from some of these, I think, and I'm probably going to make some people mad. My My question for everybody is, will you please just test drive the car? You don't have to buy it. Just test drive this as we talk today so that you don't freak out. And so to now answer your, your sort of second point here, I want to define a disciple as the idea of um, a neutrino, a particle physics idea, okay? When we think about the biblical construct of discipleship, a disciple, it's someone who is in motion, who is following Christ. Now, that means today, of course, we can't physically be with Jesus walking around following behind a person. But what it means is I'm in motion following the Lord Jesus Christ. A neutrino, a particle physics uh, concept, is only measurable in its status by its velocity. You can't measure it in mass. You can't measure a disciple by a resume, by an activity or a task. You can only measure them if they are in motion in following Christ. And I think I can make that argument biblically um, with sort of an exegetical view of the New Testament. So that would be my my play, right? Um, A disciple is a follower of Christ. A disciple is not someone sitting in a pew, not someone on a mission trip, not someone who's singing a song. A disciple is someone who is wholeheartedly following Christ. And in that, I'm going to start talking about the idea of the disciple and why the disciples that we see in churches today are fragile, brittle, on mute, or walking out the door. What's going on underneath all that? That's really where the book is going. To I'm going to prep just a little bit into this. This is a book not so much about how to be a disciple as much as it is a book saying leaders. You have to change the culture or you're going to continue to replicate and reproduce fragile, brittle, mute, and deserting disciples. Yeah, one of the things that I've said for um, the last couple of of years is that for the previous two decades, the church has taught people how to come to church and not how to follow Jesus. And so we cared so much about the attractional church model here that we didn't really... um, didn't really like teach people how to be resilient in Christ, to be dependent in Christ, to be expectant in Christ. And, and I'm curious, um, you know, as, as you kind of talk about in, in the, the resource, the, what we call the, you know, the iceberg and some of these things, what are the ramifications of not, um, of not teaching people to follow Jesus? Like, how, how do we see, how do we see that play out? I have some thoughts, but I, I'd love, love to hear yours first. 
Well, let me piggyback on your point about the attractional church model. I'm going to use a couple of models here for people to think about for a minute. Some churches are into brand building, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to make this brand really hot, and people are going to really want to come here and show up. So that's a model. That's an attractional model. There's an intellectual model. I'm going to build my brand by making sure that when you come here, I'm going to make you a black belt in theology. You're going to be an apologetics ninja. You're going to be capable of just kind of devastating the universe with your force of logic. And if you really want to be powerful for Jesus, you show up here. So that one's not so much attractional as intellectual. Then we also have what we call the transactional model. Transactional model says, hey, you show up here. This is my brand. I'm going to make you wealthy. I'm going to make you feel really good. I'm going to make you really capable of amping up your personal horsepower in the social space that you run in. And so churches run with brands. So the macro point is, I think, Tony, not only is the attractional model embrittling disciples, but also the intellectual models embrittling disciples, because if you try to say, hey, discipleship is all about what I know and or how I feel, and or what I get, you've created a very suboptimum creature. And by the way, it's not biblical. You can't make the case in the New Testament. There's a start for you. How about that? <laughs> I like it. What What are the personal consequences when we do this? I mean, and think, talk to the talk to the person who's listening who grew up in the church. They're on the treadmill right now, and they're like, okay, so I'm supposed to be a disciple. I haven't been a disciple. What are the consequences to that person who is like, I don't know that I am or am I not. Let me uh, let me tell you some statistics that we found from research when we were working on the book, The Disciple Dilemma. This is um, this is stuff that's done by some very credible research houses. We didn't just dream this up by eating too much pizza and coming up with a bunch of statements. We're looking at folks like Pew Barna, the International Research Center, even the Humanist Society in, in the UK contributed to a lot of our research, and it's all in the book. So... Uh, if you're on the treadmill right now, let me just tell you about the 10 people that are sitting in the pew with you right now. Nine of 10 people sitting in the pew think it is either not my job or I have no capability or no obligation to be able to talk about my faith. That's nine mm-hmm. out of 10 mainline Protestants, church attending evangelicals, folks who call themselves church attending Christians. That's nine out of 10. Eight out of 10 people sitting in that pew have no spiritual life aside from going to hear Tony preach 1.7 times a month. They have no prayer life, no Bible study, no connection with anybody else spiritually. They just check in either online or in the pew, get the latte, listen to the sermon, pick up the kids and go home. That's eight out of 10. Mm. Six out of 10 who are millennials, so if you think about somebody sort of in the 25-45 range-ish, roughly, six out of 10 millennials who started life in the church have walked out of the church or are about to walk out of the church. And while people walking out of the church isn't a new phenomenon, the phenomenon that research is showing today is of these six out of 10, Five of those six aren't coming back, even when the kids are born, which always brought people back before. So I'm a disciple who's walking off, totally mute about my faith. And by the way, I'm just living concierge Christianity. I come in and catch my latte, hear the sermon, go home, life's good. I'm a disciple, right? The answer is that's not the biblical model. Yeah, and and I think that we miss out on life transformation. Right. So, I, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but 
like the the consequence of not living into the biblical model is the absence of fullness of life with Christ. So if if we don't address this on a personal note, what we end up having and and you know I'm going to I'm going to get on a soapbox for just a minute, right? We, we we can't legislate our way to morality is is something I feel pretty passionate about. And while legislation is important for a lot of things, when we talk about real world change, the model that Jesus gave us is a disciple making model. I mean, thoughts on that? Reflections? Well, one of the most interesting things I think that the Christian community has struggled with is what exactly does a disciple look like? Now, in my generation, um, you know, growing up in the 1800s, um, what we had, that was a joke. If you end up with the idea of, um, not much of a joke, if you end up with uh, your faith and your discipleship being good, it's defined by your capacity to debate anybody else into the ground. Force of reason, because we have watched our parents take faith as simply a mystical experience of go to church, believe it all, and run on. And that didn't work well. So this is the legislative morality point that I think that you're making. Um, and if you kind of transition to today's more experiential faith, um, it's about accepting everyone, which is actually beautiful, but it also has a little bit of a hollowness to it. The force of debate doesn't do very well, nor does not having a conversation, not loving someone enough to actually get to know them. And so it's a very relationship low experience. I mean, we may have a social media relationship with people, but actually getting into people's lives as non-believers and believers, that's a pretty rare space in discipleship today. And um, here's here's where the book's trying to take the conversation. I don't want to divert what you want to explore today, but I do want to make this point. We can talk for a long time about what you and I as disciples ought to feel guilty about. But that doesn't do any of us any good. Yeah. I don't want to legislate how you ought to feel. And I don't want to legislate your guilt or your shame in this thing. But what I do want to do is I want to turn to the leaders for a minute. You may be a pastor. You may be an elder. You may be a deacon. You may be a trustee. You may be a small group leader. You may actually be a person who's just leading one other person or a family member. You own a greenhouse, not a pizza hut. You can't do microwave mm-hmm. discipleship. And the model that we see in Christ is a long-term relationship. It's like growing plants, not microwaving a pizza. Leadership owns the soil that the seeds, the disciples, the people are in. And those people need to grow in that culture that you create, leaders, And to understand discipleship, you're going to have to create a biblical culture that Jesus told us about. He made some very specific statements and gave us some great examples to say, this is the culture I want your people growing up in. And then this is how disciples emerge from that culture. Imagine trying to raise a garden where you have a wonderful greenhouse, a terrific sprinkler, you're the manager of the greenhouse in your leadership role, and the soil has salt in it. How well are the plants going to do? The culture of the church today, you you brought up the point of the iceberg a few minutes ago, and we use that illustration in the book. The tip of the iceberg, the stuff you can see above the surface, are those symptoms we just talked about. People on mute, people walking out of the church, people having no spiritual life. 
underneath the surface. This is the soil, the culture, the world. There are some root causes that are devastating, embrittling, making fragile the world of discipleship in Christianity today. That's the long answer. Yeah, let's dive into some of those root causes. Kind of uh, draw this out for us, because I I think it's easy to show up and become, as somebody once told me, part of the frozen chosen and not see the root. But if if we're really going to get better, we've got to really understand where this root is coming from. So in your research, what did you find? So the book talks about six causes. We call them traditions. There are some traditions in the church that are really good. There are some mm-hmm. traditions in the church that are non-biblical. They're not good. They're not right. But we've been steeped in them, Tony, for so long, they feel absolutely normal, and they're completely invisible around us. So I'm going to talk about one or two, and if you want to explore more, we, we can go sure, through sure. the six that are in the book. Let me start with one and see if this resonates a little bit. The culture that we have been raised in, we make the historical case for this, and we try to go long on it in the book. Um, there's a chapter for each one of these causes. One root cause is optional lordship. I'm a fan of Jesus, but the idea of being a bondservant, a do loss, my life being surrendered, that he is Lord unconditionally of my life, that's really fine print and overlooked in a lot of Christianity today. How's that for a starter? <laughs> yeah. Do, do you think that this just was born out of a what's in it for me consumeristic culture? Is, is this, I mean, lordship is a, a big issue in, you know, Jesus is teaching, obviously, you know, he, he tells the he tells the disciples, I'm thinking John 13, right? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightfully so, for that is what I am, right? Um, but when did we give up? When did we give up the teaching of lordship? It just seems so fundamental to our faith. Or maybe why did we give it up? One of the, one of the interesting reasons why we gave it up was because around the third and fourth century, Christianity was emerging from significant persecution. This root cause goes back 1,800 years, folks. And if you look at a church, think about Tony pastoring a church, and he's got 10 people. Think about the relationship Tony has with 10 people. Or on any given Sunday, because the cows needed to be milked or something was wrong, there's five people there. But the intense relationship with five or 10 people and the walking alongside them, five or 10 people. Now imagine the next Sunday, some guy, let's call him Constantine, walks in and he goes, hey, Christianity is now totally legit. And by the way, if you want to curry favor with me, you better join the club because Mm -hmm. we may decide to rock you to sleep using really big rocks if you don't want to join up with our new culture called Christianity. When Constantine's legitimization of Christianity happened, the next Sunday, at Tony's church, weren't five or 10, there were 500 people from all around. And they said, hey, we're here wanting to sign on. At this point, what does a church do in discipleship to assimilate 500 people? There's one story that you got to just, just think about that one for a minute in your head. Yeah, Think about as a disciple maker, you just went from having five or two to 50 or 500 or a thousand. Think about that for a minute. The idea of who Jesus is as Lord began to collapse 
largely because I, I'm arguing in the book, again, you don't have to buy the car, just test drive it, but I'm arguing largely because the persecutions where we walked up to Tony and we said, Tony, your kids and your wife, we're taking their heads off if you don't bow down and declare Caesar as Lord. Mm. What would you like to do, Tony? Became a very difficult question. And a lot of people said, I'll sign on right now. And they were called the lapsy. They were the lapsed. Their thought pattern, if you really check this out in history, was as much a part of God's grace will let me back in the door later once this is all over. And lordship can be that optional thing I do so I can get by in life. You couple that with the onslaught of Constantine's legitimization of Christianity, where all these people show up, and you have a church that is thinking, Jesus will always be good to me, and I can get away with most anything. And by the way, now I don't even have to really worry about being uh, a servant. I'm just a member. That's optional lordship in a nutshell. That's one of six causes, Tony. Yeah. Well, and I, for me, I, you know, as I'm just sitting here thinking about this, right, this is the one that, um, this is a, the lordship feels like such a, you know, like a, a foundational part of, of what we believe as Christians. And it's, it's also why people, when they, um, when they become members and not actual followers, they don't feel the need to tithe or serve or like they, there's just a different amount of buy-in when I can raise my right hand and, and all of a sudden become a member of the church, you, you know, either by social constructs or by choice, right? Like if I can become a member, it's a membership in church has nothing to do with your Lordship as, as Jesus being Lord of your life. Right. And that, that requires d- disciple making. Um, one of the interesting things you do in this writing is is you take these kind of traditions, you give them a Christian tradition and a business tradition. And I, I want to go back a little bit to this idea that you talked about with soil. And um, h- how important was it as you wrote this and as you thought about this was to give it a, a Christian context and a business context? Because um, because it, they both add such value to the dialogue can you talk to us a little bit about that? That was a poorly worded question too, but there's a, there's one in there, I'm sure. That's a terrific question. So now it's confessional time, right? So I'm yeah. a turnaround CEO. I, my, my business career um, as a chief executive officer is working with uh, privately held corporations. I work really for a lot of the Wall Street firms and I go in to corporations that they own. Wall Street firms own lots of businesses. And inevitably, some of those businesses are wrecked for a whole bunch of different reasons. And so I joke about my my career is in corporate repentance. You know, the idea of repentance is to turn around, right? So yeah. I go in for corporate repentance. And my world is in helping companies become healthy again. And I found an eerie echo as a business guy. So I'm I'm an, I'm an elder in a church, a deacon in a church. We're, we're moving around the U.S., but I keep seeing the same thing in churches that I'm seeing in the business world, which is we can't keep employees. They have no idea why they're there. They're really upset. They have no enthusiasm about their businesses. These are the lousiest corporate disciples you could ever imagine. And I keep thinking, well, those dull, dumb people, they just don't get this. I need to, I need to teach them more stuff, and they'll get this. And what I began to realize over time is, the culture 
of the businesses is how you foster the healthy seedlings, the, the plants, the employees of the organization. And I began to look at this and go, wait a minute. This is the same stuff we're seeing in the church. We've gotten away from the mission Jesus gave us in the New Testament. Ever so slightly, we've tried to upgrade discipleship because Jesus obviously hadn't thought of these great ideas that we had, except <laughs> they're not great ideas, right? And I started going, wow, businesses used to look at the church and say, here's how you make people really do good work. And they follow the church, except the church had already gone over the hill with the Constantinian problem. They're not doing it great. Then businesses realize, and I see this everywhere in corporate turnarounds, we don't do a good job making great employees, corporate disciples, right? Mm. And then the church starts looking at the business world. And they're going like, well, obviously those guys know how to do it. I mean, they went to Harvard, they went to Yale, they got their MBAs, they know how to run corporations. Let's follow the business model. Churches today, without knowing it, operate in leadership largely as managers chasing brands identity and market share, not the mission Christ gave every single church in making disciples. Hey, everybody, just pausing this conversation with Dennis to remind you that the Reclamation Podcast is part of the Spirit and Truth Podcast Network. We are a ministry of Spirit and Truth, an awakening and equipping ministry that goes all over the globe, talking to church leaders in the areas of evangelism, the power of the Holy Spirit, and of course, disciple-making. I'm so thankful to be a part of this team. If you want to support our mission and what God is doing through Spirit and Truth, you can become a regular giver at spiritandtruth.life. We're a 501c3, so all the donations that you make to our ministry goes back into podcasts like this and to helping us equip the local church. To learn more, to get connected, or to become a giver, go to spiritandtruth.life. Now let's finish up this conversation with Dennis. One of the things that you talk about in the book, and, and the, I, I suggest you pick up a copy of it. It's it's worth it. It's it's dense. There's a lot of things there, right? Like this isn't uh, this is a you spend a lot of time talking about the problem. You spend some time talking about the effects of the problem, and then the the kind of the last part of the book is this idea about the path forward. And there are two words that that you talk about a lot in that part and that you just mentioned, and that's mission and culture. And so talk to me about the importance of mission and culture. And one of the things that you say in the book is, Hey, we don't need a new mission. We just need to recapture kind of the old mission. Could, could you tell us what the old mission is? If there's a lack of clarity around that. And then how do we begin to reclaim that in a new culture in a church that's already, you know, kind of steeped in these traditions that you talk about earlier? Cause Cult, fighting the culture in the church is, it feels like turning the Titanic. It's sinking while you're turning it at the same time. And I'm just speaking from my own personal experience. I've turned around a church and it was the hardest, most painful thing I've ever done in my life. Like if you said, Tony, if you had to choose between going to war or turn around an old church, I would have to really pray about it. <laughs> yeah. That idea of not, uh, of, of having a root canal without anesthesia is really actually pretty attractive when you think about yeah. it. Versus, yeah. Yeah, people typically want to think about discipleship as the things that I do, the status that I have. And I want to go back to your original point as I launch on the conversation about mission and culture. Discipleship is the transformation of a human being. A disciple begins as a non-believer. 
there were probably about four heart attacks that just happened when I said that. And people are going <laughs> to sign up and ask you to hand out my address so they can come stalk me and burn my house, right? But discipleship begins with non-believers who are invited, who come and check it out, mm. who then begin to realize who they have just met, not me, not you, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that encounter, surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And the muscle memory of my life begins to change. The spiritual nature, the default, the operating system begins to rewrite in my life, and I become a different person. That's the disciple. Now, let me take you back to mission and culture. You asked the question about mission. I would point to this phrase, and this is great. Please, people, comment, you know, throw barbs, help me get better. But Matthew 28, when Jesus in verse 19 tells us, here's why you exist, people. Here's why you as an individual exist, and here's why you as gatherings of individuals exist. Go to all nationalities and make disciples. Hmm. That's your job. And do not guilt out on me about, well, I'm not an evangelist. That's absolutely biblical. Everyone is not an evangelist, but every one of us is a disciple. You have no option in that. You have absolutely no option. That's 100% right. In that mission, if you are leading one or thousands, your job is to create the understanding in ways so that the culture, think of that as the glue or the soil, the glue of the society of the organization that you're talking about, or the soil that these people are rising up in, create a culture so that when you're not around, their thinking and their behavior and their muscle memory is just the same as Christ laid the mission out for us in the New Testament. And by the way, echoes beautifully in the Old Testament. That's culture. That's the glue. You have to build that glue, which is always focused on that mission. And this one other point I'll make, and then I'll shut up and let you, let you help clean this up for me, Tony. But the idea of mission with most people is, oh yeah, that's a statement, a nice flowery statement that we go have a retreat on, come up with a nice, beautiful, wordy, virtue signaling phrase. And then we put it on a piece of paper, park it in a binder, throw it up on a shelf, and we'll pick it up again in a year or two and take a look and see how it works. And it has all of these values and virtues in it. Now, I wrote about this in the book, but the mission of any organization is incredibly simple. Most people want to make it a paragraph, but a mission is an incredibly simple statement. And for the believer, you can phrase it in different ways, but here's the mission of every believer and every church. Here we go. Make disciples. Be a disciple for the rest of your life. Be a disciple. There's no retirement plan. There's no opting out. This goes on forever. You go, you learn, you invite, you make, you develop disciples. That's what you do. And so that's the mission. And the culture becomes every unique church, every unique organization, every unique small group, every unique pairing, figuring out, given the skills, assets that God has given me, where I am, where I'm located, what I'm good at, what I'm not good at, how do I fulfill that mission? Yeah, I'm I'm 100% on board with the the mission and the culture and the nuances to all of that 
And and I, I guess I'm going to just rant a little bit because this is such an important topic. Um, if you're listening to this and you have a seat at the ta- leadership table of your church, this is this is part of specifically for you because um, the mission, everyone can agree usually that the mission is to make disciples, but the outcome of that is not necessarily a large church. And so for what, what I would suggest is that pastors who, who intrinsically know that they should be making disciples don't feel like they can make disciples because they're so busy trying to trick people to come to church because that's how they're viewed in success or failure. So if you are a leader at, at listening to this podcast right now and you listen to what Dennis is saying, what I want you to hear from me is that you have to give your pastor space and time to make disciples. Do not, attendance is no longer a valuable metric. And if anything is coming out of COVID um, that is valuable, it's that attendance means nothing compared to disciple making because disciple making stands the test of time, whereas attendance will fail away at the first thing. Right, wrong, or indifferent, right? It's not a statement about COVID. It's a statement about we were so busy making attenders that we failed to make disciples. In order to make disciples, just for context, and then I'm going to shut up, is is that it took Jesus three years of his life every single day, every single day, and at least two, maybe three of them weren't all bought in at the end, right? So if if you're not sure about how long this is, this is a long, arduous, messy process because it involves people, and people are hard, and so you got to give your pastor. Uh, some grace and some time and a runway in order to to change the mission and culture. I'm done ranting now. I'm sorry, Dennis. <laughs> that was a great rant. That was a great rant. You know the idea the idea that um, we can keep on doing it the way we are doing it, and we will get different results borders on, and we talked about this in the book, you know, this, this goes back to that idea of the definition of insanity. So the dilemma is actually for you as leaders, can you just let it keep on going with the kind of metrics that we're talking about, the kind of research that we're talking about that is occurring right under your feet right now? Six out of 10 of the millennials are walking away. It's more like eight out of 10 out of the Gen Z's are walking away that you have 95% of your people on mute because they don't want to or don't feel ethical about or don't feel qualified to talk about the gospel. Those are real statistics going on. If you read The Great Evangelical Recession, a book came out about two years ago, the prediction is that most of your churches think, uh, well, I said most, 40% of the churches that exist today will not be able to afford their capital budgets because of the exodus rate of believers. and the decline in tithing. This current contemporary version of discipleship is not working. And the reason it's not working is we can't expect Tony as the pastor to be in charge of discipleship. Tony is our coach. He's our offensive and defensive coordinator on the line calling plays for us, but the disciples have to play the ball game. And that's where you're making, that's where you're multiplying. You you talked about that in one of your um, podcasts with the navigators, where it's the idea of multiplication, not addition. 
if Tony's doing the work, it's addition. It's Tony is the hub and you got all these people at the spoke and we're just hoping Tony can hit all these people. And somewhere past two or three, Tony's going to saturate. Yeah. But if it's one making two, two making four, that's the model Jesus advocated. And that's why this will work. The dilemma is, leaders, do you keep the soil brackish? Do you keep the water turned off? Do you keep on working on capital budgets, brand, venue, memberships, baptisms? Or do you get back to the mission that Christ called us to? You know, I am curious. Um, it's not very often I run into someone who's uh, who's all in on disciple making. It's 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 not a very uh, sexy topic in the church world. H- how did this become something that the Lord just like burdened you with? Well, uh, what, a, what an interesting question. I um, as as I began to experience leadership roles, I started observing some of these problems. Uh, 30 years ago. And I started going, what is this? What's happening? You know, we're doing church. Great. Look at the thousands we've got. I've been, I've been uh, chairman of the elders in a mega church. I've been head of uh, leadership teams in medium sized churches, you know, the 500s to two thousands, the over two thousands. And then even in hundred kept seeing the same symptoms, same symptoms are out there. The business world started convicting me that I've got the problem in the business world. Why are employees the way that they are? And I, this started to merge in my mind. And then I showed up at a basically a CEO course at the Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics, and a bunch of theological thugs ambushed me and said, the talks you're giving to us about discipleship, you owe us a book out of that. And I didn't want to write a book. Didn't I've never done a book. And uh, they said, you're going to write it down. And they've kind of shoved me along. Some really cool people. And um, so I wrote this, my passion for discipleship, I guess, has emerged from this point. I am beginning to realize at this point in my life that I've been more of a transactional task-oriented Christian than a transforming Mm. servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so please learn from an idiot. You guys take on the, 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 the failure of my own life as a non-bond servant for many years, trying to be status, success, everything's cool, got it all together, and realize that it isn't about success and having it all together. It's about following Christ and life happening around you, having wingmen around you, and transforming the muscle memory of my attitudes, my actions, my emotions, my vocation, my civics, my missional work. There's there's my passion coming out of the book. I I wasn't following Christ. I was trying to just behave like a really successful Christian. Have you found, uh, have you been discipled personally? In my experience, most Christians haven't. I have had a fabulous, fabulous walk with some fabulous people. I think about uh, not only the blessing of parents who discipled me, boy, did they Mm -hmm. disciple me when I was a kid, but also uh, mentors, a guy by the name of Calvin Miller, who was a pastor, poet, uh, uh, and a physics guy, wrote The Singer, The Song, and The Finale, Omaha, Nebraska. Fabulous mentor there in Christ. Uh, my time in the Air Force, I had some Jedi Knights in the military <laughs> who sure. came alongside me and said, this is how we're going to do Christ. 
uh, as warriors. And that was a fabulous experience. And today, um, yes, mentors today, you, you and I deserve a 360 profiles disciples. I, I deserve, I owe Christ and I must find people who can talk into my life as yeah. seniors in an area. We were just joking a few minutes ago about the fact that you have the ability to mentor me, Tony, in learning about podcasting, even though I'm just roughly 300 years older than you are. I can learn <laughs> from you. I can be mentored by you, right? That can help. And I need people ahead of me on the path ahead of me mentoring me. I need wingmen beside me who can keep my six clear and say, bad guy, you're six, stupid behavior going on in your life. Let's clean this up. Let's yeah. be better, right? And I can do the same for them. And I need people kind of coming along beside me going like, hey, can you give me some counseling, consulting, and helping? That's what... We owe the culture of the Christian community today. Yeah, I love that. Um, as this book enters the wild, um, I know that my community loves to pray. They love to pray, uh, you know, for authors and for the guests that we have on the podcast. What What is the prayer that you'd like to be said over this book as it um, as it as it now is is going out to the masses? Lord, will you bring us 3,000 churches? That's 1% of the U.S. churches. Will you bring us 1% of the U.S. churches who will seriously ask the question, is something wrong in discipleship in Western Christianity? And if so, what then should we do? Yeah, that's a, that's a good prayer. That's a really good prayer. Uh, okay, I have one more question for you, uh, but before I ask it, I know that my uh, my listeners, my family here, they're going to want to follow up with you. They're going to want to follow you on um, all over the interwebs and subscribe to your podcast. Where is the best place to learn all things Dennis Allen? Well, I guess that would be my wife, but I don't think I want you talking to her too much about me. <laughs> that too, that too should be the next guest on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah, you're gonna have to sign a non-disclosure before before we can go any further here. Um, <laughs> so um, I would I would ask people if you want to get a sixty second snapshot of what we're talking about, go to thedisciplesdilemma.com or discipledilemma.com. Just go to either one of those, the same place. And on there, you can read one paragraph that summarizes where you're about to go if you want to talk about this. Or you can click a video. If you're more of a, a visual guy, you can click the video, and it'll give you a one-minute demo on a what's the problem. Can you really explain the problem in one minute? We think we can. And then there's just a lot of resources. Disciple Dilemma. Facebook, you go to another place called The Disciple Dilemma. If you want to do it on Instagram, you go to a place called The Disciple Dilemma. If you want to go to YouTube, you go to a place called the disciple dilemma and you'll find the traffic that we're trying to generate for example on youtube we're showing you what's it like to be a disciple in the war in ukraine right now we actually talked to a friend of ours who's in ukraine mm. dealing with the war we talked to nuns and duns who walked out on the church we talked to christians we were talking about this before the podcast who have had very large roles in christian world and corporate world, military world, who have paid a dear price for being disciples. What's it like to do that? We've talked to pastors saying, what's it like to be a pastor and a disciple? That's not an easy picture, folks. These folks have a tough, tough 
life. So DiscipleDilemma.com will give you all that. That's awesome. We'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. So if you want to get connected, uh, we'll also put a link in there where you can pick up a copy of the book. Um, okay. So last question I always love to ask people is an advice question, except I get to take you back to a very specific time in your life. And I'm going to ask you to give yourself one piece of advice. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to take you back to the, the day that you realized, um, that maybe you had been a, uh, a, as you said, kind of, a a, a passionless Christian that where you've been striving more for success than intimacy with the Lord. If you could pull up a chair in front of that younger version of Dennis after this massive realization um, and just realizing now that in hindsight that your life is about to change forever because of a burden that Christ had placed on your heart, what's the one question or what's the one piece of advice that you're going to give yourself? I would quote Darth Vader. It is your destiny. <laughs> Here so good. is meaning and purpose beyond anything your dreams of success could ever give you. And it may not be significance in the world's eyes, in Broadway's eyes, in the Wall Street Journal's eyes, but here is your calling and your purpose by the Most High Holy God. And what you will do is your work then, serving Him as a bond server, will change the face of history because God is using you, not you using God. That's I. That's that's what I would really want this slope-headed Neanderthal to hear in his earlier years. <laughs> uh, Dennis, I, I think we could have talked about this for hours or days. Uh, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Thank you for all the the, the work that you've put into this resource because I I really do believe it can be a resource for church leaders. So go pick up your copy today. Hit subscribe to the Disciple Dilemma podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts at, and, uh, and and let Dennis know that you heard him here on the podcast today. So thank you so much for your heart and for what you're doing for our community. Blessings, Tony, for what you're doing. I'm impressed with your work in discipleship as well as just caring and loving people. Thank you for following Christ that way. What I love about Dennis is his passion for this Disciple Dilemma. I think that some of the things that he is saying here are going to be so important for church leaders. So, hey, do me a favor, share this episode with somebody who needs to hear this conversation about discipleship, about the local church, about Christianity. Uh, so much goodness here. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for your thoughts. I always enjoy hearing from you. If you want to get connected with me on social media, the best place to start is on Instagram. That's probably where I hang out the most, at TWMILT at T-W-M-I-L-T. Thank you guys. Look forward to connecting real soon. We continue our monologue episodes this week. Make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our future episodes. And as a reminder, they all come to you absolutely free of charge because of the work I get to do with Spirit and Truth. So thankful for all of you. And remember, if you want to follow Jesus, you must be willing to move. <laughs>